Well, I'm pretty sure that each and every one of us here this morning uh, would love or wants to have what we might call a blessed life. I'm pretty sure there's no one in, in the room going to say, oh, no, I don't want that. Uh, I think all of us, uh, deep down, that's, that's what we would want, um, a blessed life. No matter who you are, uh, no matter uh, um, what your circumstances are, uh, I'm pretty sure you would say yes, please, uh, to that. But our problem is not that we want a blessed life, it's defining what a blessed life is. That's where we get things kind of bent out of shape and mixed up. Uh, I'm just waiting for my technology to open and it's not opening. Oh yeah, here we go. There we go, look at that. So yeah, the problem for us is defining what it actually is. What is the blessed life? What does it look like? What would be the key indicators of a life that is blessed? Is it that we would be financially successful or secure? Is it a life of physical health and vitality? Is it being liked by others? Is that the blessed life? Accepted by others or respected by others? Is that it? Is it enjoying harmonious, healthy relationships with family and friends and others? Is that the blessed life? Is that what the blessed life looks like? Well, all of those things are no doubt uh, good gifts from God's hand. But the question is this, is that it? Is that it? Is that what the blessed life amounts to? Or is it more than that? What if you don't have any of those things? What if you don't have financial success or security or physical health or vitality or no, you're not really valued or respected by anyone and your relationships with your family and friends are actually shot to pieces? Uh, what is that? Does that mean you don't, can't have a blessed life? Is the blessed life beyond those things? Is it something deeper than that? Well, the good thing is that we're not left in the dark to work this out for ourselves. As always in God's word, God has revealed to us what is at the heart of the blessed life. And that's what we're going to be looking at and unpacking together in Psalm 32 as we round out these two weeks of looking at the Psalms. So let's read Psalm 32 together and then we'll pray and then we'll dive in to this text. Psalm 32 I'm reading from the ESV. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule, 
without understanding, which must be, must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we, we thank you so much that we can. We thank you so much that you haven't left us in the dark, that you have given us your word. And by your spirit, you teach us. You're so kind that we might know who you are, what you're like, how to respond to you, how to live for you, all that you've won for us in the Lord Jesus, what it means to follow him, to love him, to be devoted to him. Father, teach us now by your spirit, we pray, as we open your word together. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, just a bit of context about this psalm. David, as king, was obviously profoundly wealthy. Don't get any more wealthy than the king in a particular country, right? Uh, there was nothing that King David could not have if he wanted it. He was powerful. He was revered and respected by others. And yet notice in this psalm, it's not any of those things that he uses to picture what it means to be blessed. They don't actually get a mention. Any of those realities of his position and status and power and influence and wealth and so on, none of those things get a mention when he unpacks the blessed life. Interesting, isn't it? When you think about our culture and society and what we value and what we esteem. No, for David, it seems to go much deeper than that. More life-changing than that. To be blessed for him means priceless realities that cannot be touched and that cannot be taken from us. And the first can be summed up in this. To be blessed is to be forgiven by God and restored to God. To be blessed is to be forgiven by God and to be restored by God. What we actually have here in this psalm is kind of like a personal testimony of King David, right? Now, we have testimonies in our church life from time to time. Someone gets baptised or we hear their story of how God's worked in their lives. Maybe in conversation, we're testifying to God's grace in each other's lives as we have conversations. We share our story, our testimony, the shared experience of God's grace in our lives. And that's what David's doing here. It's very personal uh, 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 as he shares this, these truths as they actually work themselves out in his life. Uh, notice verse 3 and 4, he testifies to the experience, uh, if you like, of the life-sapping effects of unconfessed sin. You see it there, he says, For when I kept silent, that is when I didn't confess my sins, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When he kept silent, his life, as it were, was wasting away. His heart became like a desert, barren, lifeless. 
And so in verse 2, his testimony is to God's forgiveness and restoration. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is, are forgiven, or whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman who, against, the Lord, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Here's David's testimony. And what's interesting also here is this. Notice that David doesn't take his sin lightly. You see that? He doesn't minimise it. He doesn't downplay it. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't diminish it. No, no. For him to experience this blessing of God, it also means him taking his sin seriously. In fact, he describes it in three distinct ways, doesn't he? Did you see it there in verse 1? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and against whom the the Lord counts no iniquity. He uses three words as he takes his sin seriously. And they're worth unpacking because they're kind of slightly different. Transgression has to do with our rebellion against God himself. Now, we've been created in his image with the purpose, the God-given purpose, if you like, to live in his world as his representatives, as the only part of his creation who have his likeness, his image stamped upon us. It's a glorious and wonderful purpose given by God for us. But we have actually transgressed it. We've rebelled against this divine calling on our lives, like a soldier who defects, if you like, to the enemy, like traitors with no loyalty to a king. And we've sought to run our lives our own way, actually in opposition to God's purpose and therefore in opposition to God. This is transgression. We have transgressed against God. Uh, just, a, just a side here. Notice there's no such thing as sitting on the fence when it comes to God. Either you are submitted to him and his ways or you're not. Sometimes we like to think, oh, yeah, people, people, people might say things like, oh, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm kind of not really following him at the moment, but I am positive about him. Well, no, the sum here would, would say no. You're, either you are submitted to God and following his ways or you're actually opposing him and doing your own thing. There's only two ways to live, so to speak. There's not a fence in the middle that's kind of halfway ground and, you know, I'll sort it out at some point. Either you are submitted to Jesus or you're not. That's just the the, the way it is. So transgression is the first one. Sin is the second word he uses, which has to do with missing the mark. Missing the mark. Even our best efforts, if you like, our most righteous efforts fall spectacularly short of God's standard, of God's mark. We sin by missing the mark with him and we sin by missing the mark with others. That's what Romans 3 talks about when it says, For all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. It's the missing the mark. What's the standard? The glory of God. So again, it really highlights things. It makes it very stark, doesn't it? Because sometimes we might be tempted to think, oh, yeah, I do pretty good. You know, I don't do too many bad things. I'm not a bad person. And that may be true. But God has set the mark. And Romans is very clear that all of us have fallen short of it because we all sin. So we're all in the same boat. And bad news, that boat's sinking. So that's sin. No matter where, where we are on the culturally righteous spectrum, we've all sinned. And then the last one he says is iniquity, which has to do with our inward corruption, if you like, our spiritual corruption, our, our depravity. This is the stuff that we know about ourselves deep down, deep in the recesses of our heart that we'd rather not talk about. It's kind of uncomfortable. If we, get, if we start being honest about that, these are the things that come from a place of corruption and when they happen, they, they leave us guilty and ashamed. Things that we wouldn't want anyone to know about, things that we wouldn't want to be exposed. So notice David uses these three words, transgression, sin and iniquity, different angles of where we are in relation to God left to ourselves. So we see how actually how serious sin is, how serious our predicament is, how serious it is before God. And when you think about the name that, God, that David uses for God here, it ramps it up even more. It's the word Lord, but capital L-O-R-D, which is the great name for God in the Old Testament. It's the name that God... Uh, said of himself when Moses said at the burning bush, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am who I am. Holy, awesome, righteous, majestic, glorious God. It's him who we've trans transgressed against. So our sin is incredibly serious, which is why David finds such blessing here, don't you think? You know, when, you, when you take it seriously and you think seriously about it and you go, oh my goodness, there's, there's transgression, there's, there's, there's missing the mark and there's inward corruption and then to read, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. See, David is not in any way diminishing the seriousness of his sin but at the same time, notice he's delighting and lifting up the wonder, the blessing of God's forgiveness of his sin. He's delighting in and lifting up the, the wonder, the blessing of being restored to God by God. It's interesting, the way, although he speaks in three different distinct ways about sin, he also th speaks in three wonderful ways about what God has done for him in this in this in in this area blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven that's the that has the idea of uh, sins or transgression being lifted it's on you i'm responsible i'm culpable I, i'm the one who's done it but blessed is the one from whom that has been taken away blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven whose sin is covered. 
And that's as obvious as the word that's there. It's the opposite of it being exposed. Blessed is the one whose sin has been covered and covered by God. Covered now and also covered when it comes to stand before God on the last day. When you would, you would definitely not want it to be exposed there and the verdict to come guilty. But no, no, no. If we come and put our trust in Jesus, our sins are covered and they remain covered. And then the third one is, and against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And here's the idea of charges being dropped. You know, you've got these, all these charges of iniquity against us, things we've done that will be judged. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Charges dropped. Fantastic, isn't it? How's that even possible? How's that even possible? How's forgiveness possible to this degree? How is transgression forgiven? How is sin covered? And how are the charges dropped? Well, it's because our sins were laid on another. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those sins have been brought against him. He's paid the price. He's experienced the judgment that we deserved. So that the blessing of God might envelop us and be poured out on us. So that we might be able to say, not just blessed is the one, but blessed am I that my sins are forgiven. Sorry, my transgressions forgiven, that my sin is covered over and my iniquity has been dealt with. This is what he describes as true blessed blessedness. Friends, this is the blessed life, if you like. To be forgiven and restored by God. There's no deceit in David in relation to God anymore because of this. Look at verse uh, 2 again at the very end. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose, in whose spirit there is no deceit. What does that mean? What's he, what's he alluding to there? Well, he's talking about the blessing of confessed sin, right? There's no deceit in David anymore. No faking it. No religious facade. No double life, saying one thing, appearing like one thing, but actually on the, on the other side there's all of this stuff going on. No, no, there's not a double life. It's been brought together. Now there's truth in the heart before God. Now there's no deceit in David. It's really ironic, right? Because everything God already knew about David, he has now come clean about. God knew anyway, and he knows you, and he knows me, and he knows your heart. But we live in this world of deceit sometimes with God. We come pretending, we're not really honest, we're not really confessing, we're not really being true 
at the center of our being with him. I wonder what he, what he thinks at that point. But when we come and confess, when we take our sins seriously and we come and confess, that, that double life is broken. That inconsistency, that deceit is taken away. And now, and it's so liberating. I don't know whether, you have, whether you've tried to live a double life in some way, shape or other, but it's exhausting because you've got to keep two of them going. You've got to keep the one you're presenting going and then you've got to keep the one that's actually going and you can't let this one find out about that one and so you've got to cover your tracks the whole time. That's just on a horizontal level, but we can try and do that with God too, right? It's exhausting. It's so liberating to just have one life under God's grace where you're honest with him and with others. There's no deceit. This is David's testimony of what the blessed life is. Now notice that David speaks again about that period when he wasn't confessing. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I reckon David's grateful for that. Notice he says, your hand was heavy upon me. I wasn't coming clean about my sin. I I was straying, essentially. But God was after him. God was weighing in on him. God was bringing him back to a place of repentance. And sometimes he does that. And praise him that he does. He just doesn't let us kind of wander off. This is the blessed life. To be forgiven and to be restored by God. And I would argue, friends, that this is where true life actually begins. There's lots of counterfeits out there. But I reckon this is where true life begins. When we experience God's, the forgiveness of God and restoration to him. And as a flow-on effect, it's actually also where true worship begins and where devotion to God flows from. As we experience this forgiveness and restoration, we will find a love for God, a delight in him, a desire to live for him, wanting to see him glorified, and so on. So to be blessed is to be forgiven by God and restored to him. I've told this story before, but about 12 years ago, something like that, uh, we went to Bali and we stayed in a particular hotel that our friends uh, also stayed at a lot. And so they went every year to Bali and got to know uh, the particular staff uh, at this hotel. And so I was told to look out for such and such and such and such. And, you know, one of the guys I did actually uh, get to chat to a bit and uh, he was there, I think it was like Monday and Tuesday he was there. And then Wednesday and Thursday he disappeared. He wasn't at work. And I was like, that's interesting. Because I got the sense that they were pretty dependent from day to day on, on just their living. Just having food on the table and you know, they didn't have like, funds stored up in the bank. It was kind of day to day living. And he, he disappeared for two days. And Anyway, when he came back I said, oh, I noticed you weren't here for a couple of days. You've been all right. And he goes, oh, no, no, I had to, um, I had to go to the festival had to observe the, the Hindu festival that was happening for those 
two days. So he had to leave work uh, and sacrifice the money that he would have earned, uh, give that up. And he also had to buy a whole bunch of stuff to actually take to the festival and offer to the Hindu gods. So I was talking to him about it. And then I said to him, so how do you guys deal with your sins? How do you, how do you get that sorted? Because they, they actually believe in sin, Hindus do. And uh, he said, well, by going to the festival, by making sure I do certain things and offer certain sacrifices and you know, keep essentially by doing enough. So I said to him, um, yeah, and by doing enough, the, the hope is that the gods will bless them and they won't be cursed or judged. But I said, how much is enough? To which he said, I don't know. How can you ever be sure? Well, you can't. Because you never know if you've done enough. King David here in Psalm 32 says you can be sure. You can be sure that you are blessed and not judged as your transgressions are forgiven, your sins are covered and your iniquity is dropped. Now do you see why he's saying blessed is the one? This is the blessed life. Not because of your performance, not because you or I have done enough, been good enough, pulled our socks up enough. That's our spiritual socks, I mean. No, no. Because of God's performance and God's perfection and God's forgiveness. To be blessed by God is to be forgiven by him and restored by him. I wonder, is that you today? As you sit here this morning, is that me? Is that us as a church? Is it obvious to others that we believe from the core of our being that we've been richly blessed by God in Jesus? That through him we've found the blessed life that nothing or no one can touch. That through Jesus we've been forgiven by God and restored to him. Do you know that reality that David speaks of here? You know this personally. Maybe you're here this morning and you think a little bit like my friend in Bali that it's something you can earn. That it comes to you by doing certain things. By doing good deeds of some kind or another. Perhaps by going to church enough or, I don't know, trying to be a good person or, or balancing up the ledger. Maybe you see it a little bit like a spreadsheet. You know, I've got a few bad entries on the left here and if I just put enough good entries on the right... That'll cancel out the ones on the left and the figure down the bottom will be in the black and not in the red and I'll be okay when I, when I stand before God. That's not how it works. That's not the reality David speaks of here because you, you can never know if you've done enough. What about your transgression and iniquity and sin which is actually against God? What are you going to do with that? You can't undo it, and you can't remove it. <laughs> it's like a stain that no matter what you do, it just gets worse. What do you do with that? How do you deal with that? 
How did David deal with it? Have a look at verse 5. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. That's all David did. And the verse finished was with, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you think you can earn it, I would, I would urge you just to put that strategy down and pick up David's strategy of coming and confessing to God and receiving his forgiveness that you could never earn. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian, but you're full of unconfessed sin. Whatever sin it is, you've somehow bought the lie that it's going to give you life and happiness or blessing, if you like. And you are actually living a double life with God. You may even be living a double life with those closest to you. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in your life that they don't even know about. Maybe sometimes you don't even kind of know fully yourself. Your spirit, who you truly are, is full of deceit and it's actually killing you slowly. Friends, I want to encourage you, if that's where you are this morning, that's a dangerous place to be, but you don't have to stay there. Come again and do what David's done. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover it up anymore. I confessed it. And I'm clear now. Come and confess your sins so that you might be blessed. And as you do that, let me encourage you to do it in three particular ways. Specifically, we're gonna, when we confess our sins, we ought to do it specifically, not in sort of vague generalities. Oh, sorry, Lord, I messed up a bit today. No, no, specific, what was it? Because vague generalities, that's a method of diminishing it, not taking it seriously. Specifically, wholeheartedly, not kind of half-baked, and from the heart, not just the symptom, what, what I did, but why did I do it? What was going on at the core of my being? That's where the sin started that led me to make that decision, which was a, man, a fruit, if you like. Confession of sin is a Means of grace. It's a blessing from God. It sounds negative, doesn't it? When we talk about it, we think, oh, confession of sin, oh, that sounds, you know, I don't know, it's kind of does it has a negative connotation to it, perhaps, that we've developed over time. But it, biblically, it's a beautiful thing. It's a way that God has given us to come and be restored and to be cleansed and to be forgiven, to enjoy His grace, not just once, but again and again. It just. You know, it's not just something you do when you become a Christian. It's actually part of the Christian life. For me, it's daily. <laughs> or at least it should be. Probably don't always do it every day. But I've got enough to talk to God just after a day. I don't know about you. To be blessed by God or to, to the blessed life is a life that's forgiven by him and restored to him, which is what we were created for. And secondly, 
Okay, we've seized up, I think. Not me this time. Ah, there we go. To be led by God and loved by him. That's the second way that the blessed life is described here in verse 5. Uh, sorry, verse 6 through to the end. Therefore, in light of everything that David's already said, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at this time when you may be found. Surely in the rust of waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Notice the therefore. It means in light of everything that just just been said, verse 6 and following is the response to verse 1 to 5. Because of who we've seen God to be here, a God who blesses us with forgiveness and restoration, firstly, our response ought to be then to run to him. To run to him. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. So there's an urgency about that running to him as well. Run to him now while the opportunity is there, while you can. Because one day, surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. What's that about? When in the Old Testament is there a rush of great waters? Is it not the river closing in on God's enemies? after God's people have been taken through. It's a picture of judgment. Surely when that happens, it'll be too late. So run to him now while the opportunity is there. God's word puts it like this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Respond to what God has said. So run to him. Notice also David describes God now as a hiding place. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God, for David, is someone to hide in, not from. To take refuge in. And God preserves him on every side. He delivers David and he leads him and directs his life. And notice there, there's these shouts of deliverance. These were shouts whenever there was a victorious battle where the army would go up with a shout. There's shouts of deliverance around everyone who turns to God and runs to him and finds him to be a hiding place and a refuge. Run to him that he might become your hiding place because he is the God who forgives transgression and covers sin and doesn't charge iniquity. By his grace. So run to him. Secondly, submit to him. The, the, the language changes here and it moves from David to, to God speaking directly. Notice what he says in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near to you. I will instruct you, God says. Because God has restored you, because God has blessed you with his forgiveness and grace, submit your life to him. You know, we don't have to work everything out for ourselves. God will instruct, you, instruct us. He says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you, like a father watching his child 
and instructing him and counseling him. That's the picture here. So submit to him. The one who sees you and sees all things is the one to direct your life. But just a little important key there in verse 9, right? Be, be not like a horse or a mule. What are horses and mules like? Well, I'm not sure about horses, but I'm guessing a mule's pretty stubborn, hard to steer and direct, and must have a bit in their mouth in order, and a horse too, to steer them. Otherwise, they're just going to go in their own way. What's, what's God saying to us? Be easily led. Don't, don't be like a mule who has to have you know, some pain, if you like, <laughs> to get you to go in a particular direction. Don't be like a mule. Joyfully submit to your good and gracious God. To be like a mule actually would be a disadvantage, wouldn't it? To us. But we're prone to it, hence it's here. Lastly, rejoice in him. Rejoice in him. Look at verse 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Rejoice in him. It starts with forgiveness. The blessing of forgiveness, and it finishes with the command to celebrate with joy, kind of off the charts joy in God, right? Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Not like, yeah, I'm joyful, kind of joyful. It's a little bit more exuberant than that. Shout for joy. Why? Because of where we were without God and because of now we are because of him. Because of the forgiveness of our transgressions. Because of the covering of our sins and because of the dealing with our iniquity. But notice also what we see in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. We heard about steadfast love at the opening of our gathering, didn't we? What is steadfast love in the Bible? Well, it's one of the two key words that are used to refer to God's covenant, loyal, unbreakable love. That's why it says, for the steadfast love remains forever. What does David say? But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Loyal covenant love surrounds you, envelops you, if you like, when you put your trust in Jesus. Unbreakable. Loyal, covenant, tender, gracious, powerful love that can never be broken surrounds you. Isn't that glorious? 
It secures you. It holds you. Because I'm not that loyal. I don't know about you. So the other party in this agreement needs to be incredibly loyal. And he is. It secures us. It sustains us. It holds us. And again, this is the blessed life. To be led by God. And loved by God. To this Extent to this degree. Be led by him and loved by him. Now tomorrow, God willing, we're going to uh, 2J for a week's break. And uh, before we leave, a whole bunch of things we'll do. But one of the things we'll do as we leave is I will set the directions, the trajectory in our maps on my phone so that I don't get lost somewhere out in the back blocks of Jinjin or something. And I know where we're going. Well, one of us will. It's probably most likely will be. We will set the trajectory of our two and a half hour journey tomorrow. And the question is this this morning as we look at the second point in particular. Who is it that's setting the trajectory for the journey of your life? Is it you? Or is it him? Are you making all those decisions in your life without any reference from him, without coming to him and, and offering prayer uh, while you can? Are you without being, having those decisions shaped by his incredible grace that has poured out on your life? You're just kind of making it independently of God? Setting the trajectory for yourself? Or are you being led by God as you are loved by him? You know the blessing of being led by God and loved by him each day. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to run to him while he may be found. You haven't done that yet. And there is a time when the rush of many waters will come. But today is a day of grace. Today is a day when you can. And maybe that's what you need to do first and foremost today. Today. I found out recently, as many of you know, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You really don't. <laughs> so if you haven't run to him yet, don't delay. He holds out this grace to us in the Lord Jesus. To be forgiven, to be restored, to be led by him and loved by him. Don't delay. Run to him while you can. Do you see what the blessed life is today? It's not really about financial security and stability, is it? Not even about health and vitality, all those things are good. Not necessarily about everyone thinking how great you are. It's definitely not that. And it's not even about having good and healthy relationships with family and friends and others. All, although, again, these are all good things. But it's deeper than that bigger than that it's more life-changing than that it's more eternal than that to be forgiven by God and restored to him forever and to be led by him and loved by him 
forever. For the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and thank you this morning so much for your kindness towards us, especially in the Lord Jesus. You would have been well within your rights. You would have been completely just to leave us to ourselves, to our own devices, to not intervene at all and to one day hold us to account before you as you judge the living and the dead. And yet you've sent your son into the world that we might be prepared for that day, forgiven of all our sins, past, present and future. Have them covered, have our iniquity taken away, charges dropped, declared not guilty. And you've done that at great cost to yourself because of your great love. Lord, we pray that there mightn't be a single person here this morning who doesn't, having seen you here in Psalm 32, want to run to you and put their hope and trust in you, either for the first time or again. Not one person here who doesn't want to submit their lives to you because you are the God who leads and counsels and directs for our good. And not one person here who doesn't at least have some joy welling up within them because of your steadfast love, your loyal love. Father, please, yeah, bless us in this way. Open our eyes, as we said earlier, that we may see and respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.